Good morning, church. It's good to see you this morning. Are you ready for Christmas? Yes? Anybody still shopping? Anybody still decorating? All right. Well, I hope that your Christmas will be a blessed celebration of our Lord's birth and his presence in our midst. I bring you greetings this morning on behalf of some 780 SBC of Virginia churches all over the, the Commonwealth and our nation's capital, some surrounding states. And uh, you, along with those churches, have decided that we can do more together for the gospel uh, than we can apart. And that's what holds us together. We can do things like for 175 years, send missionaries around the globe to tell people who have yet to hear that Jesus saves. That's what we can do together. And, and we, 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 we're grateful for that partnership and uh, grateful that we get to partner with, with our friends at the International Mission Board who are this year are celebrating 175 years. That's amazing. I want to commend you as a church for sending out families like this and others who are serving. I, I, I want to commend you for sending out mission teams to go and work alongside of your missionaries that are serving faithfully in places that uh, are not easy to, to serve and, and to be a follower of Jesus, much less a, a propagator of the gospel. And uh, again, I just want to thank you for your faithfulness and obedience to the commission uh, of our Lord and Savior to go and make disciples of all nations to the ends of the earth. Well, today I, I want to bring you a, a message that's a little different. We're going to start in a very familiar passage. We're going to talk about a little bit of the Christmas story, but we're going to jump into an understanding of what that means for our everyday life. If you're like many and like most, uh, even of us in the family of God, we sometimes are guilty of pulling out the Christmas story. We bring it off the shelf. We dust it off. We tell the story in our family gatherings and around the tree like my family did yesterday with an early celebration with part of my family as we go to celebrate with another part of my family just very weak. And we told that story yesterday. But sometimes we're guilty again of telling that story we treat it as novel, interesting, even give, give, give uh, thought and attention and, and, and affirmation that of its impact in our life. But then we take the story of Christmas and all of its rich doctrinal truth and we sit it back on the shelf for another year until next Christmas. Well, today I want us to take a little different approach as we consider the doctrine of the incarnation of Christ. I want us to look today, we're going to start, so take your Bibles, if you will, look at Matthew chapter 1. We're going to start here, and, and we're going to dive in, and, and we're going to take a high-level look at, at lots of different stories that, that portray for us what it is that Jesus expects of us and the model that he set for us as Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. So before we start, let's stop and pray. We're going to ask God to be our teacher today. Can we do that? Jesus, uh, we, we come before you today humbly. We come before you today in worship. Mindful that your mercies are new every morning. Affirming that you are great and faithful in our behalf. Grateful, Father, for your love which is unconditional. Grateful that you are all that we need. 
And with that understanding, Father, we bow before you and we worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, we thank you for all that you are and all that you've done. I pray, Father, that you, by your spirit, would be our teacher today. I pray that you would take your word and apply it to our hearts and our lives, that our lives may be be made more like Jesus as we live our lives in obedience to your call in our lives. Father, I pray that you would equip us even in this time of study to be better prepared to be witnesses as we lead, to proclaim the good news of Jesus wherever we go in the days and the weeks ahead. Father, I also pray that while we're challenged today by you uh, with this message, I pray that you would also comfort our hearts today. Lord, many of us have come to this service with heavy hearts over lost loved ones or or stress or anxiety because of life's challenges or burdens, maybe maybe weary because of of a physical ailment, maybe even suffering from coronavirus. God, I pray that you would, in the midst of this message today, not only challenge us, but that you would also comfort us by the understanding of your presence in our midst and thereby that it would bring us peace. So God, be our teacher. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So let's dive in today. Matthew chapter 1. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. You follow along in your copy of God's Word as we read together Matthew chapter 1 verse 18, a very familiar part of the Christmas story. Matthew writes, the birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. After he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David... Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because, don't miss this church, he will save his people from their sins. Oh, glory to his name. Amen? Amen? Verse 22, now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now, here's where I want us to zero in. And they will call his name, what, church? Emmanuel. Jesus, Emmanuel, right? Which is translated, God is is with us. Don't miss that. Jesus, who came to save us from our sins, also came to be present with us as Jesus Emmanuel, God with us. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel uh, had commanded him, and he married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Wonderful. Named him Jesus. Now, 
want us to think about this word Emmanuel for a minute. I want to read some comments from a commentator that I was looking at in preparation for this message. Emmanuel is a Hebrew masculine name, which means God with us. Say that with me. God with us. The concept of the presence, the special presence of God goes back to the Garden of Eden where God conversed with Adam in the cool of the day. Stop there for a second. I was asked one time if I could insert myself in any Bible story in all of God's word, which one would it be? And I've always come back to that story. I would want to be with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day as they sat and had daily conversations with God face to face. Can you imagine in the cool of the day. Oh, there's so much there that's rich. His presence with him in the cool of the day was God's assurance that I am with you. God manifested his presence in the Old Testament in many ways, such as by the pillar of cloud and of fire in Exodus, and by the symbolism of the tabernacle and the temple, and especially the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant all that represented the very presence of God in the middle of his people. When the glory of the Lord was seen in those places, in those buildings, it produced such a sense of overwhelming awe that the normal ministration that the priests were going about could not even be conducted. I fear today that we lose, we have lost our sense of awe at the presence of God. If you go back and read in the Old Testament those stories of the Ark of the Covenant representing the very presence of God, and you read how they treated the Ark because it represented God's presence in their midst, we've lost that sense of awe. We've lost the worship that comes from that in many respects. An overwhelming sense of awe. God assured Israel of his presence when they, confronted, when they confronted battle, when they were fearful and weak, and also when they were facing great trial. The commentator continues, listen to these words. The concept of God with us was often reiterated by Jesus as well in the New Testament. He told his disciples that where two or three were gathered, he would be, what church? What church? He would be right there with them in their midst. Jesus Emmanuel, God is with us even if it's just two or three of us. Before his ascension, he assured them that he would be with them until the end of the age. Little parenthesis here. One of my hopes in this message today is that you're going to walk away with a new favorite preposition. English students or English, English majors in the room or English teachers? Preposition. It's these little words. One of them is the word with. That's the essence of Jesus Emmanuel. God, say it with me, with us. You're going to hear that a lot today. Commentator continues. He, Jesus, spoke also of the promise of the Holy Spirit. He who dwells with you will be in you, John chapter 14 who will abide with them forever. The God with us in dwelling is spoken of 
in Colossians chapter 1 when Paul writes this. Christ in you, the hope of glory. In the consummation of all things as shown to the apostle John, the Lord said, behold, watch this. Behold, the dwelling of God is with, say with, is with men. He will dwell with them, say with. He will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself will be one more time. He will be with them, Revelation chapter 21, verse three. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. He continues, Jesus chose his disciples that they might be with him. When he foretold his departure, he told them he was going to prepare a place for them so that they could be where he is. In another place, the eternal summation is given. So we shall always, ever be with the Lord. Oh, friend, the doctrine of the incarnation of Christ is more than just an element of Christmas. It's a powerful dynamic that you and I need to be aware of every moment of our existence. When you woke up this morning, Jesus was with you. If you're a follower of Jesus, he lives in you. And that should radically transform your life and your perspective and your hope and your purpose, all of those things together. Are you with me, church? Are you with me, church? I want us to consider several stories back to back to back to back to back to back. Now, we're not going to exegete each one of these stories. I want us to take a flyover, if you will, through Matthew chapters 8 and 9. And we're going to rapidly read through several accounts that displays the reality, the truth, the application of God, Emmanuel. Now, I want you to walk away with two truths as we do this flyover, and we're going to tie it all together at the end. Here are the two truths I want you to walk away with. Number one, I want you to be challenged by the example that Jesus is setting for you and me. I don't know how you learn best. Here's how I learn best. I learn best when somebody says, hey, Mark, come walk with me, and I want to show you some things, and they model for me the things that they want to show me, and then they say, let me help you do it, and then they say, now I'm going to let you do it, and I'm going to watch, and ultimately they leave and let me do it. That's how I learn best. Anybody else like me here in the room today? Sometimes people just say, hey, go and do that, and they expect you to do it. What we're going to see in this flyover is Jesus modeling for you and me what he expects of you and I in obedience to a command that he gives us at the end of his life before he's ascended into heaven when he says, go and make disciples. What we're going to see in this flyover is Jesus modeling for us his presence with and among the people that he's called us to make disciples among. You with me? If you are, say I am. Second thing I want you to walk away with is this. In talking with Brian, he's told me that there's, death has, has visited the family here at, uh, here at Nansman River this week, and there's been a couple of members that have passed. 
and yet others who were associated with people who were here that have passed. I too have lost a loved one just yesterday. My hope and prayer, secondly today, is that as we do this flyover, that not only will you be challenged, but I pray that you will also be comforted. I pray that you'll walk away with renewed hope. That no matter where you are, what you're experiencing or encountering or will encounter even unexpectedly, that you can walk away today knowing that Jesus, Emmanuel, is with you. You with me? All right. So here we're going to see again, Jesus modeled for us what he meant when he later gave the commission to to go and make disciples. Notice in these passages, Jesus and Emmanuel intersecting with lives personally and compassionately in his effort of making disciples. Then he's going to make an appeal at the end kind of teasing that a little bit. So Matthew chapter 8, your Bible should be open there, Matthew 8. We're going to run through several of these accounts back to back to back to back to back. Uh, By the way, I was taught, there's a wire right there. I was taught that if you say something once, it's important. If you say it twice, it's really important. If you say it over and over again, it's really, 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 really important. You need to pay attention to it. Matthew is saying something to us here when he chronicles all of these accounts back to back to back to back to back to back. Pay attention. So, Matthew chapter 8, verse 1, without delay, let's dive in. It says there, when he, Jesus, came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. Notice they were with him. Right away, a man with leprosy came up and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Reaching out his hand, Jesus did what, church? What did he do? He touched him, saying, I am willing. Or he said, he touched him, um, and saying, I am willing, be clean. And immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. Real quick parenthesis here. We're living in the midst of a worldwide pandemic right now, right? You, you may be uh, so inundated by information of all sorts from all, all different perspectives and, and all different outlets that this thing is going to kill you. And it's feared, filled you with fear. And so we, we, we're doing things like we're keeping six feet away, as we should. We're wearing masks, as we should. We're, we're, we're respecting one another, and we're trying to keep one another healthy, and that's a good thing. What I want you to know is that as this coronavirus world pandemic is, leprosy was worse. Leprosy was, a, was an illness in the first century in that period of time that had no cure, and it had very visible results. Your body would break out in sores that would not heal, and and ultimately appendages would begin to fall off. And it it was so bad that lepers had to live outside of the walls of the city because people were so afraid that they would contract what it is that they had. And the Bible says in this passage, as we're considering the example of Jesus Emmanuel, that Jesus, even, even with the lepers who cried out, Jesus, have mercy on us, heal us, you can do it if you're willing. And Jesus said, sure, I'm willing. And the Bible says, not only did he say that he was willing, he reached out and did what, church? He touched them. He touched them. It's an intimate exchange that he had. He touched people that people wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole. Why? Because he was Jesus, God, Emmanuel, in the midst of a crisis. And he interacted with people of need where they were. And he brought healing. Verse 5. 
when he entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed in terrible agony. And he said, am I to come and heal him? Is that what you're asking of me? Verse 8, Lord, the centurion replied, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, having soldiers under my command. Jump down to verse 10. Hearing this, Jesus was amazed. And said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with so great a faith. Then Jesus, verse 13, told the centurion, go, as you have believed, let it be done for you. And his servant was healed at that very moment. I want you to see in that story that again, Jesus was out and about where people were. And this man came to him, this centurion, and he was able to reach Jesus because Jesus was there in the midst. And he came and sought Jesus out. Have you ever been sought out because you're a person of faith, because you're a follower of Jesus? And somebody says, hey, I know you're a person of faith. Will you pray for me? You see, when we make ourselves accessible, these types of interactions can take place. But we live in a day and a time coronavirus aside, where we in our Western culture, we, we, we're kind of individualistic. We, we go to work, we, we, we leave the house, we get in the car, we drive to work, we come home, we park the car, we go in the house, and we don't interact with our neighbors or friends. or we, we don't do things with people much anymore. But Jesus was out and about in the midst of large groups of people. And he was accessible. And he had interactions with this. And this man came and expressed the need And Jesus heard and answered his prayer. Let's continue in this flyover. Verse 14, Jesus went into Peter's house and saw his mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. So he touched her hand and the fever left her. Then she got up and began to serve. And when evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. He drove out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. Jesus is still in the midst of people meeting their needs serving them where they were, God, Emmanuel, God with us. Verse 23, let's jump in there. And he got into the boat. His disciples followed him. Suddenly a violent storm arose on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But Jesus kept on sleeping. But where was he sleeping, church? He was in the boat. And where were the people? They were in the boat. God was in their midst, even in that storm. So the disciples came and woke him up saying, Lord, save us, we're going to die. They didn't say it quite like that. They had a whole lot more excitement in their voice. He said to them, why are you afraid? You have little faith. Then he got up, he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. You know what the water looks like in the cool of the evening after a long day, and it's, it's just glassy smooth. Can you just see that? Jesus is in the boat with them. I mean, I, I'm talking, I don't know how, how, how big the waves were, but they were so big, these guys were scared. And these were commercial fishermen who had seen it all, and they were scared. And Jesus was in their midst and said, why? Why are you fearful? And he stood up, peace be still. Smooth as glass. And Jesus was in their midst. With Jesus you guys still remember some of the songs that you learned as kids in, in Bible school and all that stuff? And knows what I'm going to do. <clears throat> There's an old song that goes, with Jesus in the boat, you can smile at the storm, smile at the storm, smile at the storm. With Jesus in the boat, you can smile at the storm as you're sailing home. That's where this song comes from. And it's a great story, 
that talks about Jesus Emmanuel making all the difference when he's in your midst. Amen? Are you getting excited about this? Because this is life transforming. Jump down to verse 28. When he had come to the other side, to the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him as they came out of the tombs. They were so violent that, that no one could pass by that way. Suddenly they shouted, what do you have to do with us, son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? A long way off from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. If you drive us out, the demons begged, send us into the herd of pigs. Go, he told them. So when they had come out, they entered the pigs and the whole herd rushed uh, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished in the water. So here's Jesus interacting with people yet again who were social outcasts. These these people, these two guys that came out of the, I mean, they lived in the tombs. Who goes and lives in tombs? I mean, they were were disturbed. They were were possessed literally by legion of demons. Mark's account of this says that these men would gash themselves because of their pain and their agony and the turmoil in their life. They, their life was a wreck and in shambles. They smelled awful. They looked, they looked just awful and, and they, were, they were completely unacceptable in society. They lived in the tombs because of all their dysfunction and Jesus came to where they were. And he met their need. just as he does with you and I at our time of need. And the Bible even says that the one of these two, that one of these men, his life was radically changed that quick. In an instant, he was at peace because Jesus had cast from him these demons He met the master, the Jesus that came to save us and live with us had changed his life in an instant. The gospel vividly portrayed in that moment. And he sat at his feet, perfectly at peace, who a moment ago was uncontrollable. And he said, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to go wherever you go. And Jesus said, no, I have a different plan. He said, I want you to go, and I want you to go to your home and tell your family and your friends and your neighbors about what I've done for you. And the Bible says he went to a place called the Decapolis. The Decapolis is literally a place of 10 cities. Now, that concept shouldn't be foreign to you and I because we live in a place called Tidewater, see, see you're, you've been around here a long time. For, for, for short timers, it's called Hampton Roads. So Tidewater, Hampton Roads, it's a place of seven cities, right? That's not unlike the Decapolis. And Jesus' expectation for this person whose life had been transformed by the gospel was go back to your people and tell them everything I've done for you. He's saying to them, 
go and incarnate the gospel in their midst just like I have with you. Are you seeing that in this flyover? Jesus is in the midst of all of the messiness of life, incarnating the gospel. And in this account, according to Mark, he said, I want you to go and do likewise. You catch that? Chapter 9, verse 1. This flyover continues. We're about halfway through our flyover here. So he got into a boat, crossed over, and came into his own town. Just then some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a stretcher. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Have courage, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the scribes said to themselves, He's blaspheming. Perceiving their thoughts, Jesus said, Why are you thinking evil thoughts in your hearts? For which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralytic, get up, take up your stretcher, and go home. So he got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were awestruck and gave glory to God who had given such authority to men. Church, Jesus was in the midst of the messiness of life among many people, many of whom would be considered social outcasts. They weren't the popular people. They weren't the people to be desired after. No, these were people that were, were outcasts like tax collectors and prostitutes and, 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 and people who just were, were out demon-possessed people, people who were lame and sick. And he incarnated the hope of the gospel right where people were, right at their point of need. And the Bible says, here in this passage, when the crowd saw this, they were awestruck and gave glory to God. You know what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 15? He says that if you and I live our lives in the manner that Jesus calls us to, our lives should be so distinctly different than the community around us that our lives should shine against the blackness of the sky like bright, shining stars radiating the light of the sun. That's what Paul says. So if we, like Jesus, are incarnating the gospel everywhere he sends us, then people will be awestruck there too because they'll see a difference. Even if you are one who's experienced a loss in your family, not even, I'll even go so far as to say especially. I've got three pastor friends that I know that have lost adult young sons in the last six months. I've tried to speak peace and comfort into their lives. And I've watched them grieve from afar. And I see them writhing in pain, but proclaiming the hope that Jesus is Lord and the sovereign in the midst of it all. One even recently saying, I shall yet praise him again because he placed his trust in him even when he was in pain and didn't understand. You see, when we grieve, when we live, when we serve, when we 
do all that God puts on our plate to do, and we do it as unto the Lord in the manner that he calls us to, people will see his glory, not us. Because you and I will be incarnating the gospel in the midst of the communities that he sends us to. Lots of people out these doors. Lots of people that drive this highway by this church every day that have yet to hear about Jesus. And he's calling you and I to incarnate the gospel in their lives. And he's showing us in these two chapters, as Matthew's recorded these, these stories in this flyover, back to back to back to back to back, because he's saying, pay attention to how Jesus is living because that's the way we're to live as well. Verse 9 in chapter 9, as Jesus went from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the toll booth. And he said, follow me. And he got up and followed him. The toll booth is not the toll booth on the bridge. Toll, is, it, it, he's a tax collector. And tax collectors weren't overly honest at that time. So this is an outcast, somebody that everybody despised and hated. Yet another person who's out on the fringe that Jesus is going to. He's not running away from outcasts. He's running to outcasts. Follow me. And he got up and followed him while he was reclining at the table in the house. Many tax collectors and sinners came to eat with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Notice the word with. Now, when he heard this, he said, it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. You see, Jesus, Emmanuel, that we celebrate at Christmas, the baby Jesus who came to live among us, he was living among the people here, interacting with them at their point of need. Even those, especially those who are outcasts. Verse 14, then John's disciples came to him saying, why do... We and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast. Jesus said to him, can the wedding guests be sad while the groom is what, church? With them. The time will come when the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Jesus, again, again is talking about, again, his presence with us. Verse 18, as he was telling them these things, suddenly one of the leaders came and knelt down before him saying, my daughter just died. So my daughter just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. So Jesus and his disciples got up and followed him. Just then, a woman who had suffered from bleeding for 12 years approached from behind and touched the end of his robe. For she said to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I'll be made well. And Jesus turned and saw her. Have courage, daughter, he said. Your faith has saved you. And the woman was made well from that moment. And when Jesus came to the leader's house, he saw the flute player and a crowd lamenting loudly leave he said because the girl is not dead but asleep and they laughed at him and after the crowd had been put outside he went in and he took her by the hand and the girl got up here in that story it's it's two lives that are transformed not just one and notice the woman who had the issue of blood had been suffering for so long for many years the bible says she she had faith that if she could just reach out and touch, can you feel the, the, the urgency in her? She could just reach out and touch the hem of his garment. She knew that she would be saved, that she would be healed. And you know why that was possible? 
because Jesus was in the midst. He was accessible because he is God with us. And again, as we're taking this flyover, getting ready to land this plane, I want you to understand today that God, the Son, is setting an example for you and I to follow as we set about obeying his command to be disciple makers. Just as he's modeling withness, he wants us to be with people as well, accessible to people as well, so that we can have interactions just like these. Are you with me, church? If you are, say I am. Verse 27, as Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, have mercy on a son of David. And when he entered the house, the blind men approached him and Jesus said to them, do you believe that I can do this? He said, yes, Lord. And he touched their eyes. I love the miracles where Jesus literally reaches out and touches. It shows such an intimate transaction. Touched their eyes, saying, let it be done for you according to your faith. And their eyes were open. Yet again, there was another demon-possessed person that came, verse 32, just as they were going out, a demon-possessed man who was unable to speak was brought to him. When the demon had been driven out, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowds were amazed, saying, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. Again, when we live that life, people will notice. And then verse 35, notice it says, Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching, notice what he's doing, because we're supposed to do these same things. He was teaching in their synagogues. He was preaching the good news of the kingdom, and he was healing every disease and sickness. Recently, we had our annual homecoming, our annual convention for the SBC of Virginia. A friend of mine by the name of Brian Collison planted a church about six, seven years ago up outside the gates of Fort Belvoir. He did that so he could reach uh, especially those who were serving in our nation's military. He himself is an Army vet and recently retired from a long career. And, and uh, he, God had called him to go and incarnate the gospel right outside the gates of Fort Belvoir. And Brian Collison preached a short uh, devotion for us at our annual convention. And here's what he said. He said, largely to a group of pastors who were in the room, he said that that pastors as shepherds needed to smell more like sheep in order to disciple effectively. He said that pastors, being shepherds of the flock, at the end of their workday need to smell a lot like sheep in order for us to, in order for us as pastors to, to serve our flocks faithfully. Now, I, I want to hasten to say here that the command to go and make disciples was not just given to pastors, was it, church? Everybody say no. No, absolutely not. No, the, the call to make and commission to make disciples is given to all of us as followers of Jesus. So I would say to you today in applying this particular illustration that you and I both at the end of their day should smell like sheep. Because God calls, I mean, do you know that he says that we're kind of like sheep? Anybody ever spend much time with sheep? Uh, so I, 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 you can see some of my Indian regalia. I, I, I have a Native American culture, have been a Native American missionary, have some Native friends, uh, the, the, the Navajo tribe especially, out in the southwest part of the country. They are sheep herders. Uh, if you drive on the reservation, they have sheep everywhere, and that's one of the things they do there. I, I want to tell you, if you spend any time with sheep, you'll know that sheep aren't the smartest animals in the world. They just aren't. In fact, not only are they not smart, 
They smell as badly as the knowledge in the smartness that they lack. I mean, they, they're just not pleasant to be around whatsoever. And Jesus says, we're sheep. I'll just let that rest there, and you kind of take that and do with it what you will. <clears throat> we're like sheep in a lot of ways. If we are going to be faithful at carrying out the Great Commission, we, like Jesus, need to spend time with people who are lost, people who are outside of the family of God. That's the only way that we can be accessible to them and they can have access to someone who is a follower of Jesus so that our lives can interact by the providence of God and share a word of hope to somebody who has no hope and no purpose because they don't have Jesus. I've got a good friend of mine who's an Egyptian, and God has called him to go to his own people and Muslims beyond. And I I can't tell you much about him other than to say he's just a phenomenal apostolic missionary. And he likes to say often, and he taught me well, that if we're going to be effective at living on mission with God, we need to be people who aren't scared to pull up our sleeves. He said, we need to roll up our sleeves and be willing to get our hands dirty in serving others and incarnating the gospel in those communities. And friend, we can't be effective as witnesses, as disciple makers, unless we're doing that. And that's the application for this whole message today. It's one of two. We need to go more intentionally there and live among people and help them to know Jesus personally by interacting with them compassionately, serving them where they are, and sharing a message of hope that they so desperately need. Disciple-making required that Jesus spend time with and among those with whom he preached the gospel. Spending time among the masses was messy, and it displayed the deep compassion and unconditional love of Jesus. Jesus went out of his way culturally to be with the people in all the towns and villages geographically. Jesus crossed every boundary, every border, and every way so that everybody can have a chance to hear the good news that Jesus saves. And you and I need to do the same. When did he do that? How about with the woman at the well? She was a Samaritan and he was a Jew. Most Samaritans, when they were going from south to north, Samaria was in the middle. They would go, I mean, way, they'd take the bypass. Instead of the business route, they would take the bypass and go all the way around Samaria so they wouldn't touch Samaritan soil, much less deal with a Samaritan person. Jesus went right up the middle and encountered her culturally crossing barriers, numerous of them, so that she can find hope. And then she turned around and told everybody she knew, and they found hope. Why? Because he crossed boundaries, because he's Jesus Emmanuel, God with us. And he says, you and I are to do the same. Whether it's going across the sea to East Africa or going across the street to your neighbor that's never heard about Jesus and everything in between. Are you with me, church? Jesus meeting the physical needs of the masses displayed the gospel and it provided a platform to proclaim it boldly. So we've looked at the definition of Emmanuel. We've looked at the example of Emmanuel. I want us to finally consider the instructions of Emmanuel. The instructions of Emmanuel Emmanuel are these four and we're done. Notice these four. Jesus Emmanuel says this, go and make disciples. 
Jesus Emmanuel says, go and make disciples. Now, I want you to notice how he tells them and what he tells them. He says, Matthew writes, Jesus came near to them and said, notice he was near them. He was with them. Jesus Emmanuel, he didn't shout this from from somewhere else. He got down where the disciples were, and this is what he told them. He was near them, and he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. How? Baptizing them in the the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, what does he say, church? I am, I am what? I am with you. I am with you always to, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's our Jesus. I so love our Jesus, so many things about him. You know one of the things I love about him? That not only does he entrust us as stewards of the gospel, but he modeled for us how to share it, and then he gives us his power to be able to do it when I couldn't do it on my own. He says, go, and I will be with you. Secondly, the instructions of Emmanuel, go and make disciples. Secondly, as you do so, rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. Even if you obey God's command and you go across the sea to a place like East Africa and you try to do that in your own power without praying and depending on God, brother, will that work? Absolutely not. Because you and I can't do anything of eternal value apart from what God does through us. So Jesus says, go and make disciples, one. Secondly, he says, rely on the power of the Spirit. Listen to Acts 1 and what he said and how he's, what he says for us to do. Acts 1, 8, but you will receive power, say power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And when he comes on you, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. John 14, Jesus says this, and I will ask the Father, he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. The instructions of Emmanuel are go and make disciples. Rely on the Spirit who is with you and working in you. Thirdly, he said, remember, Emmanuel says, remember, God's power is greater. 1 John 4, 4 says, you are from God, little children, and you have conquered them because the one who is in you, Jesus Emmanuel, is greater than the one who is in the world. Don't you love this doctrine of incarnation? Are you coming to appreciate this witness? Go make disciples. Rely on the Spirit and remember that God is greater. 
How many of you, by a show of hands, did spiritual battle this week? Anybody besides me? The hand of every follower of Jesus should be up right now. Because you have an enemy who is hell-bent on your destruction, your devastation, all of that. Feeling discouraged? Satan's nipping at your heels. You're feeling this overwhelmed because of trials and struggles and things in life, feeling temptations coming from right and left? Yeah, you've got an enemy. His name is Satan. He's defeated and he's predictable, but he's relentless. But remember that God's power is greater. I love reading stories of missionaries that have gone to hard and difficult places. And how when they got in their midst, these people in different places recognized in the lives of missionaries that God had sent in their midst that God was in fact greater than any of their understandings of who God was and what he could do. They realized that God was greater because they saw the difference in a life. And the words that they were saying as they proclaimed the good news of Jesus. And that can be your story and your effect as well as you allow God to work through you in that fashion. Remember, God's power is greater. Finally, here's what he said. Instructions of Emmanuel, and we close with this. Go make disciples. Rely on the Spirit. Remember, God's power is greater. Number four, pray for additional workers in the harvest. Pray for additional workers in the harvest. At the end of chapter 9, remember we had our flyover, chapters 8 and 9. At the end of chapter 9, where we left off, verse 36 describes Jesus and what he said. He said, that's why I have my wife with me. Is my coat on fire? <laughs> Been looking as well? You got my back? Here's what it says. When Jesus saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. So it's describing Jesus' empathy, his reaction to seeing the lostness of people. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest fields. Don't miss this. For two chapters, Matthew stacked up story after story after story after story, and we read them all, of how Jesus incarnated the gospel, was present in their midst, proclaiming the good news of redemption, Story after story after story. And at the end of that series of stories of Jesus modeling for us what he expects of you and I, then he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he'll send out more. If you think about it, it's pretty dynamic. Because again, Jesus was modeling for us what he expected but here Jesus also saying, I need more servants that are out in the harvest. And he's saying that to every one of us that are in the room that are followers of his. Saying every one of us need to be about the work in the harvest because the harvest is abundantly plentiful. 
And if you know anything about farming, you have a limited window in which to bring in the harvest before it's spoiled. I hope you know that as much as we celebrate the first coming of Jesus at Christmas, that he is coming again. And it could be tomorrow. Could be today. Could be 100 years from now. But there's a limited time, a finite amount of time for people that don't know Jesus to hear the gospel and respond by faith and obedience, repentance. Oh, friend, hear God calling you today to lean in to walking with him in mission and carrying the gospel far, far and wide. And that last application I told you about, again, I, I know that death has visited the body of Christ here at Nansman this past week. You may be here today with a heavy heart. You may be here today completely overwhelmed because of some challenge that you've got that you're facing, whether it's a health crisis or a financial crisis or a relational crisis or whatever it is. I want you to know that Jesus Emmanuel is there with you. And because he's with you, you can face whatever you're experiencing. And you can know that you know that you know that he's able and he's trustworthy and you can trust him. So today I want you to be challenged to live on mission just as Jesus modeled for us. And I want you to go with hope and peace, being comforted knowing that Jesus is with you. May God bless the study of his word today. Will you pray with me? Thank you, Jesus, for our time of studying the word of God today. Thank you for being our teacher. Thank you for challenging and encouraging our hearts. Thank you for showing us, demonstrating to us your love. How you love us unconditionally. God, would you draw us even closer into your presence and then our response to you would be worship and adoration. God, as we close this service, I also want to pray for that person who's in the room or maybe watching online who has yet to encounter Jesus Emmanuel, has yet to put their faith and trust in him, in you. God, I pray that you would remind them of your grace in their life and it would draw them to repentance and confession Give them the faith to believe the good news of Jesus and accept that message of hope today. Thank you for this body of Christ that faithfully proclaims that good news. And I thank you for those in this room. And I pray that providentially you bring people across our path this week that we can share Christ with, especially people that don't know you. So God, we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.